It's good to see everyone with us this morning. I pray that you've all come prepared for a blessing this day. Our brother, Jonathan, and Sister Sherry are away from us on some well-deserved rest and refreshment. So we want to remember them in our prayers that the Lord would provide that for them. Today, though, we have 12 young men that will share with us one of the roughly 15 facets of salvation that the Lord has shown us out of Scripture. You know, there can't be a better topic than the Lord Jesus Christ, and there shouldn't be a a more precious topic to any of his children than the great salvation that he's prepared for us. So I hope that you've been in prayer for this. I know I have. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from our young men this morning. And to set the tone over in Romans chapter 5, it tells us in verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for us when we, not when we were his friends, not when we were seeking him, but when we were his enemies, thumbing our noses at him. Jesus Christ came and died for us. It's a wonderful topic, a wonderful thing to be excited about and pray that all the young men are that excited. As I said, we have 12 who will speak to us today. Uh, Brother Jerry, unfortunately, was ill last night, so he is not going to be here with us. So that's why we have the number 12. Uh, before we get to that, just want to be very thankful for Stephen and Debbie for on Wednesday night, they were with Bruce and Joy, uh, or rather Bruce, uh, on, during the Wednesday night service. We're very thankful for that. Brother Matthew and Amanda are with Bruce this morning, and Wednesday night, Leon and Francis, I believe, are scheduled to be with him. So we're very thankful for this care for our brother. In our first service, we'll have, divides out very nicely, have six of the young men speaking. The first one that we will have is Brother Daniel Crosby, and he'll be speaking to us about sanctification. Then we'll have Lewis Grimm, who will be speaking to us on the topic of imputation. Then, Brother Stephen Eastland, Jr. will be speaking on the subject of forgiveness. Mark Crosby, next, will cover the topic of propitiation. Brother Nathan will cover cover the subject of ransom. And then, Brother Jonathan will cover, Jonathan Crosby will cover the subject of intercession. All wonderful topics. Sanctification. Imputation, forgiveness, propitiation, ransom, intercession, all different aspects of what Jesus Christ did for us when he saved us. Some of these are economic terms. Some of these are legal terms. Some of these are familiar terms. All the different areas in which the salvation of Jesus Christ impacts our life is what we want to consider this morning. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer to ask him to bless us. As we do this, our most glorious King of King and Lord of Lords, 
we bow before thee at this time and ask thy blessing upon us. Father, we are so very thankful that you have chosen us to come here at this time. Lord, we by nature have nothing to do with you. But you chose to have much to do with us. You chose, Lord, to make us your children, to redeem our souls from hell and the destruction that both our father Adam by his choice and we by our contribution to it in this life have have agreed on. Lord, you overrode us so that we can be examples of your great love, kindness and mercy for all eternity. Father, we're so very thankful for this. And Lord, at this time, we ask two things. One, we ask that you would be with our brother and our sister, Lord, that labor much amongst us. Father, that you would grant them a time of refreshing, a time of calmness where they can spend time with each other and with you, Father. Lord, we're so very thankful for the means that you have provided for us, that we can know the things that we know. Bless them richly, Lord. Revive their spirits. Rest their minds and their bodies. And grant, Lord, that they might be fitted for further service for us. And, Lord, secondly, we ask for the young men that are before us this day, that, Lord, you would show us that you are great and a mighty God. You would pour out your blessing upon us from their lips. Lord, you would stir up their hearts so that they would be excited about these things. And they would help us to be excited about them. And Lord, that you would use this as a small indication of your blessing for us in the future. Lord, we don't know if you're going to come back while we're even having this service, Lord. Or if you will tarry your coming for generations yet to come. We ask your blessing upon us, Lord, and we ask that you would not take your spirit from us, but that you'd make him very manifest this day in our midst. For it's the glory, the praise, and the honor of him who we're talking about all day long, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Brother Eric, if you would please come. I have listed out from all of the... Young men, they're him. So if you would take the first one here, and then after that, Brother Daniel, if you'd come. After that, Brother Eric will come and lead us in Brother Lewis's song. Then Brother Lewis can come. Then the same thing. We have Brother Stephen's hymn. Then Brother Mark Crosby. Then Brother Nathan. And finally, Brother Jonathan Crosby for our first service. So, Brother Eric, if you'd come and lead us for this first hymn. Find the Burgundy Hymn Book, if you will, and please turn with me to number 46. This is an exciting opportunity, and I'm excited to hear what everyone has to say this morning and what they've been considering. And this song is a good one to start us with. Number 46.
good. Brother Daniel, will you please come? As Mr. Eastland just stated, I will be talking about sanctification today. And due to time, I will be focusing more on the legal phase instead of all five, for it would take a lot longer than ten minutes. Um, the purpose of today, I want to do a quick reminder of the holy God that we serve. We cannot come to him as we are. We have right. Something has to be changed in us. And then also, I want us to glory in the perfect uh, salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. First of all, let's start off and let's remind ourselves of what the word sanctification actually is. The definition would be to consecrate or set apart as holy or sacred, or to purify or free from sin. Consecration means to set apart as sacred or dedicated solemnly to some sacred purpose, or to give or so give the object itself a character of holiness. This is a religious act of making something holy before the Lord. Why is this important to us? Well, simply put, the Lord is holy and he cannot love sin or the sinner. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 5. I'll read verses 4 and 5. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Without holiness, we do not even have an entrance into heaven. In Revelation 21, it says, And there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Without holiness, no man can even see the Lord, as stated in Hebrews chapter 12. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So we stand before, we have to be made holy if we're going to ever see the Lord Jesus Christ or spend eternity with him. Right. Well, before the New Testament, the Lord had some, there was some Old Testament sanctification. And let's spend a minute looking at what that was. Um, I think the personally, the best example of sanctification was the Lord giving the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai. He told the people to sanctify themselves for two days, set a boundary around the bottom of the mountain, and if anyone even crossed the boundary, they were to be thrust through with darts. That should give us a little bit of idea of how holy the Lord expects us to be. Right. Moses' law many times was sanctified by the blood of um, excuse me, by the blood of blood of goats and bulls, as right. it says in Hebrews nine thirteen. For with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall Jesus Christ? We'll get to that in just a second. But blood had to be spilt for in order for something to be sanctified, which is to give us a sign of things to come. If you will, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll read to you verses 1 through 4. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance, of, a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins." So the entire Old Testament, any kind of sanctification or sacrifices was just a shadow of things to come to let us realize that blood had to be spilt in order for something to be sanctified. 
But it was just an image, for that was not good enough. Now I come to my favorite part of all this, and that's to talk about the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you will, turn over just one page to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read to you verses 5 and 7. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. When Jesus came, he came to do the Father's will, and that was to sacrifice himself for us. So first of all, he came to do the will of God. Secondly, he only had to be offered once, instead of continually, year by year, throughout the entire Old Testament. If you will, look at verse 10 of, chapter, of Hebrews chapter 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The sanctification of Jesus was complete. And we know that from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11 where it says, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He had already completed it. It's done for us. We have nothing else to do except glory in what he has done for us. The sanctification of Jesus is forever. You'll look at uh, verse 12 of Hebrews 10. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Amen. The sanctification of Jesus is perfect. If you look at verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Amen. Brethren, if you will, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but let me tell you a little something that happened to me this week. I picked this topic last Wednesday, and I was trying to figure out how I wanted the Lord to tell me how important it was. Well, I got a chance, an opportunity to go to a funeral on Tuesday and got to hear the pastor of New Spring Baptist Church in Anderson, which has got about ten to 15,000 members, tell everybody there that the woman who had died needed nothing else. She was going to stand before God perfectly fine, just the way she was. And I sat there and said, wow, that kind of contradicts the fact that the Lord said we have to be holy to stand in his sight. It's just a little reminder the Lord gives us. We have to have something change in us if we're ever going to see him. And so I want to thank the Lord that while I was going through this, he made a real life example right there of nobody believes this. Or many people do not believe this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 through 22. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Brethren, let's be thankful the Lord has sanctified us so we can see him one day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for bringing that to us. I enjoy thinking about the Old Testament utensils that all the priests had to use, and they had to clean them by sp- sanctify them by sprinkling them with blood. And blood is not normally something that's used as a cleansing agent. In fact, you use water and soap to cleanse blood off of stuff. At least I do. But it was the whole thing was a picture of better things to come. It couldn't perfectly sanctify those utensils, nor the priests, nor the people that they sacrificed those lambs for. But the perfect Lamb of God can. And that was, a, that was a picture of better things to come. Right. Next, let's consider imputation. And if you will, turn in your Burgundy hymn books to number 51. And then we'll hear 
thoughts around imputation from Lewis. 51, Rock of Ages. Speaking on imputation today, um, it's been a great privilege this past week and couple days to really focus on one facet that the Lord has saved us with. Um, imputation, a definition, is to assign as a characteristic, to credit, or to account something to someone. Um, some synonyms that are used in the Bible are account, to count, and reckon. Um, it's a term of not changing the person or the object that you're putting something on, but taking an aspect and applying it to them. Um, it's used three times in our salvation, three instances where you see the Lord imputing something. First, God decides to not impute sin to us. Second, God takes that sin and puts it on Jesus while he's on the cross to die and atone for those sins. And third, God imputes the righteousness of Christ onto us. Amen. Um, this past week, while thinking about it, I've been kind of thinking in an analogy to help me better understand it, and I'm going to try to um, show that to you also so that maybe you can um, help better understand it. First, I want you to imagine a bank where God is the banker, and all mankind, when they're born, an account is opened in their name. And it is opened with the sin of Adam being first put in there. And as you live, all the deeds, all the sins that you commit are added into that account as fines, as debts that we can't pay. We start in the red and we just get further and further into debt as we live our lives. But that's where God first decides 
to go in there, and he pulls up people's name, he pulls up his children who he decides to elect, and he takes that sin and he pulls it out of their account. He completely wipes their slate clean. It says Hebrews 10:17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He decides he's select, he has selective memory. He's not going to remember the sins and evil deeds that we've done. Amen. Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. They're completely gone. We don't have any responsibility to do anything for them. We couldn't do anything for them in the first place. Secondly, God takes those sins and puts them on Jesus because he is a just God, and those sins must be paid for somehow, but we can't. So he puts it on someone who can because Jesus lived a sinful life, sinless life, sorry, and he can atone for those sins. Right. 1 Peter 2:24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live on the righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Jesus took those sins, he suffered for our sins, he paid our debts for us, while we could not. Thirdly, God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. All his goodness, meekness, faith, and life is put into our account so that when God pulls up our name, he sees his son. He sees sons and daughters. He sees Christ so that not only are we not in debt to him, but he puts us in the green. He gives us all the righteousness of Christ onto us to complete our salvation. Romans 3.22 says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Every child of God is equally saved and has the full righteousness of Christ. There are not parts to beat up to, all whole, to everyone, but it's the whole of all Christ onto all of them. So the Lord, in his infinite mercy, the recap first, forgives us all those sins, wipes our slate completely clean, which is amazing since he is such a just God. Then he atones for those sins through Jesus Christ, sending his son to die for us when he didn't have to. And he only chose certain ones. He chose his beloved, his children. And thirdly, gives us the life of Christ into us. He imputes that righteousness onto us so that when he sees us, he sees Christ in equal standing. We begin to peel back the onion. There are more and more layers. Someone who doesn't have the heart for righteousness and a new heart that Jesus gave them may say, yes, I've heard the story of Jesus. I got it already. Let's move on to something different. No, there are too many aspects and different facets and different ways of looking at it because sanctification is completely different than imputation. And you broke up those three parts of imputation perfectly. It's different than sanctification, different way of looking at it. And we've got more to come. Okay, number five. Burgundy Hymn Book number five. We consider forgiveness next. Number five.
for this evening? The facet of salvation that I chose for today, about a week and a half ago, is forgiveness and how the Lord does not impute that uh, wickedness on us, as uh, Lewis said before. Uh, forgiveness is a legal, economic, forensic, even religious term of not imputing an offense or not um, not holding an offense towards somebody else because you have forgiven them. It is uh, clearing a guilty party of an offense that they have done towards you. And this can be done in court from a criminal uh, breaking the law. This can be done uh, parent to child, friend to friend, different things that might offend. But it's to pardon or to give a remission of an offense that was given, uh, that was committed. The one thing, though, when we all we've all experienced this is when we when we have done something that requires forgiveness, or when we've done something that is offensive towards somebody else, and we humble ourselves and we come to them and ask them for forgiveness, and they forgive us for what we've done. That is a huge burden that has been lifted off our back. That is, it is a relief. It is, it is the most joyous thing you probably could have experienced that day when, that's, when that burden is on your chest and then they forgive it. The same thing is done when God forgives us our sins. Of course, now I'm talking about eternally and in the facet of salvation. I'm not, I'm not going to touch on the practical aspect of it. We should be asking God for forgiveness for our sins, and we can, we can do something in a, in the, towards the effect of we need to restore the relationship with God when we sin. And that we should be doing that, but as far as eternally being forgiven for our sins, we can do nothing. We can do nothing as far as that's concerned. <clears throat> First off, I just want to start off with um, talking about how we begin. As Daniel said, we, we begin as helpless creatures. We begin as sinful men and women. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Psalm 14, 1 through 2 says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Right. And there's many, many other verses that basically state that as far as when we are born, we are not born naturally good. Regardless of what many people in the world think, many philosophers, doesn't matter. We we are born sinful creatures. But thankfully, we have, we have a Savior that has saved us from that original sin that we have. God has forgiven the elect through the planned process of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Um, if you turn to Psalm 32, we see that David describes the blessed man that God forgives and who he does not impute sin to. Psalm 32, verse 1, says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 2, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. It says the Lord imputeth not iniquity. It's not what we do to not have the iniquity imputed to us. So many times we as human beings in our corrupt minds and hearts, we, we think that we forgive when somebody asks for forgiveness. We can only forgive if that party comes to us and asks for forgiveness and because they've humbled themselves to us 
and shows that they've done something wrong. Now, that's just the way we are naturally. And let it not be said amongst us Christians. But that's just the way we naturally are. But God does not wait for us to come or didn't wait for us to come before he gave us that salvation. Again, I'm talking I'm talking eternally, not practically. <clears throat> if you turn to Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four, verse six. Again, it refers back to what David just said in the verse before that I just read. But it gives an extra little clause that I thought was very, very interesting in that and that I thought was a big point in this in um, the forgiveness aspect. It says, verse 6 of Romans chapter 4, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom the Lord and to whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Without works of the person that needs the forgiveness. It's all of God. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, to whom the Lord will not impute the sins that he has committed in his life to his account. <clears throat> Praise God that it wasn't us. It wasn't what we had to do in order to get that sin to be erased from our account. If it was up to us, if God made it possible and said, if you come to me, I will forgive you for your sins eternally. If you come to me, you will. But if you don't come to me, then I'm not going to forgive you. If it were left up to us to do that, do you think we would actually come to him? Well, we, we can look at uh, Genesis chapter 3, if you turn there. This is a familiar story, but it, it shows, I think, so clearly that we were given a chance to ask for forgiveness. Maybe not eternally, but the, the fact is that we, it shows our human nature in this, in this chapter. And if we were given the chance, what we probably would have chosen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. All we did when we were confronted by God was, was tell him how, how unfavorable our, our circumstances were, were how, how, how we grew up or how we how we were put in a situation and we failed because of that. It wasn't our fault. It was what you did to us, God. That, that was our attitude. Why should we be sorry? It wasn't our fault. It was what you did. It was what you gave us. It was the serpent. It was the woman. So if we were left up to ourselves to ask for the forgiveness, none of us would have chosen it. But thankfully, God, in his infinite wisdom and love and mercy to us, has chosen to find another way. It is the blood and death of Jesus Christ that puts away our sins to, to make that forgiveness possible. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Amen. Forgiveness of sins through his blood. 
Nothing else could have washed away the filth of our transgressions or our sins. Nothing else could have even come close to that. All of our good works, as we know, as we see in Romans, are as filthy rags before him. We need something much stronger and much more pleasing to God than what we could have done in any of our works. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and that's us trying to cover ourselves with fig leaves and blaming God for the circumstances he's put us in, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. In spite of ourselves, God was still willing to, Im- to impute forgiveness on us and have given us good standing in his sight. He doesn't see us now as criminals in his courtroom that have broken the law and that have done abominable wickedness. He sees us now as his children, as his sons and daughters whom he loves, who are absolutely perfect before him. And that is a blessing in and of itself. And in Hebrews, 7, in Hebrews 10, 17, as Lewis quoted earlier, is there sins and iniquities I will remember no more. He will remember them no more because he has forgiven us for them. Praise God he has chosen to have amnesia. Now, if we have been forgiven, if we are God's elect, how should we respond to that, to the fact that we were forgiven? Um, the story in Luke 7, you don't need to turn there, but it was of the, the Pharisee who invited Jesus into his house. And there came a woman that were, was sobbing and was wiping was wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, washing his feet with, his, with her tears. And the Pharisees in there had this, had this mindset. They, were, they didn't say it out loud, but they said, what's he doing letting this, letting this woman come in and touch his feet? If he knew what kind of woman this was, what kind of sinner she was, he wouldn't allow that. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, if there was a creditor, and he had two, uh, two people that were indebted to him, one owed him 50 pence, one owed him 500 pence, and if he forgave them both and just said, go your way, you don't need to pay me, which one would have loved, loved him more? And the Pharisee said, well, of course, it was, the, it was the man with 500 pence that he owed. And Jesus said, exactly, exactly. That's what this woman is doing because she knows she's been forgiven much. Now, if we see the state that we were at the beginning of how we are, we are unrighteous before him, and then we see that he has made us his children we should be equally, if not more, thankful because we see that now. We should be, we should be that one leper that comes back to Jesus and thanks him, thanks him for forgiving us for our sins. We should be repentant for our sins that we commit carnal, practically in our carnal lives, but we can thank him for his eternal forgiveness and, and that he has made our standing with him perfect. Amen. What a relief. What a clearing. What forgiveness. Find a red hymn book. I'm sorry. Find a red hymn book. And let's consider propitiation for a moment. And let's turn to number 305. Mark has selected 305 for us to sing in consideration of this. 305. Yeah. 
Amen. Brother Mark, please. Rape, murder, incest, blasphemy, idolatry, wickedness, lying, stealing, extortion, covetousness, the list goes on. Every one of you are guilty. Everyone is guilty of all those. I'm even talking to you, Hannah, Abigail. I know that sounds horrible, doesn't it? But the fact of the matter is, if you break one part of God's commandments, one part of his law, you're guilty of the whole thing. You're guilty of everything. All of us, without Jesus Christ, stand before God totally to blame, totally condemned, under every aspect of God's law. We need some help. Even Okay, let's just make, make up a story. Even if you were a perfect kid, maybe like Lewis, even if you were perfect and you didn't do any wrong your whole entire life, you know what? You're still condemned under everything. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, through Adam all die. But in Christ we'll all be made alive. But we're getting there. So as it stands right now, even if you were perfect and your whole life was perfect, you're still going to hell because through Adam was our representative, and in him, his sin is on us. Right. So, we need, like I said, we need some help. We need Jesus Christ. Thankfully, God sent Jesus Christ to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, what exactly does a propitiation mean? Well, it means to, uh, a rendering favorable, an appeasement, uh, to placate, to overcome distrust or hostility. We have an angry God. We have us as sinners we got to get some way so we're friends. we got to be friends. We want to go to heaven, right? We want, we want to be saved. We, we don't want to go to hell forever. We, we need somebody, something, some way to, get to, to reconcile the two of us together, to win over, to win or gain goodwill, favor, or regard, to make compatible, to reconcile. I hope I'm not stealing anybody's reconciliation, but I think they kind of go together, to make favorable, kind of like to make, to make friends. Actually, the word propitiation is only used three times in the Bible, all in the New Testament. The first references, which we've just studied a couple weeks ago, is Romans 3.25. I'll I'll go ahead and read 24 and 25. Being justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. Now, we've already had this explained to us, but what this is saying is God, the angry party, the party that, has, that we have offended, he, saw the faith, he, through faith, saw that Jesus Christ would live a perfect life and that he would pay the ransom for our sins, that he would be the, the propitiation, the atonement, the, the sacrifice that we needed to reconcile the two of us together for the, for the sins of those in, in the Old Testament. So God saw that through faith and, and applied that propitiation to those saints so they could go to heaven. Um, the, the second passage is 1 John 2.2. 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ wasn't just the propitiation for the sins of who Paul was talking to in Paul. He was the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. That could be taken as the whole world of the elect, 
uh, Jews and Gentiles, which probably is a little better seeing in you know that, that day and age. But Jesus Christ died to reconcile both Jews, his chosen people from the Old Testament, and Gentiles, all of us. He died so that we could be the friends with God, so that God would, would see Jesus Christ when he looked at us. The third reference is, in, is also in 1 John. It's, it's 1 John 4.10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, there's lots of good love stories, and I think I love Esther. I think that's good. But the greatest love in the world is God's love for us. Amen. When he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God sent God to be sacrificed for his creatures, which had totally offended him, which he hated in his righteousness. That, that, is, that is the greatest love. That, that he died for us so we could be friends with God. So, what happened? Well, we got, we're accepted in God's sight now through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. Through Jesus Christ now, we're reconciled to God. We can have boldness, just like in that last song. We can go to God and say, Father, Abba, Father, we can go before him in prayer and we can, can, can really wrestle with him and we can get the good stuff from God because we're his children. When he sees us, he sees Jesus Christ. Just like Lewis had said, imputation is great. It's not just that he, he took away our sins. It's that he imputed Christ's righteousness to us. Right. We're friends with God. That's part of propitiation. Also, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We are righteous because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, because he was made a propitiation so that we could be made friends, we could be made at one, we could be in good communion with God. Amen. Turn in your Burgundy hymn books, please, to 136. Propitiation is not a word that you've probably used in a sentence this past week. And why do we care what it means? Because God chose it as a word to describe the substitute that Jesus Christ made for our sins in the Bible. And if he used that word, we need to find out what it means and why. Good. Thank you, Mark. Let's sing number 136 in anticipation of considering Jesus as a ransom. 136. I hear the Savior say.
Amen. Amen. Brother Nathan, please introduce the idea of ransom to us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. A ransom. Jesus is our ransom. We've heard a detailed explanation of what a ransom can be. A payment to a kidnapper to release those that have been kidnapped back to a parent, to a friend, to a nation. I want to go about this from a completely different angle. When you hear the word ransom, you immediately run to the idea of a kidnapper. That's the way we've been trained through the media, through other verses in Scripture. But I want to, I want to steer us in a different direction. The actual definition, a very short definition for the word ransom to help you understand which angle I'm coming from, is a price to be paid for freedom from captivity. doesn't necessarily have to be the bad guy that's having the ransom paid to him. Right. It can be a good person. And I think you'll find that it is. There's a serious misconception that it has to be the kidnapper that's going to be paid. I'm here to tell you today that the ransom that has to be paid is not to a kidnapper. The ransom that has to be paid is to an almighty, powerful, and holy God in heaven. There's been a reoccurring theme through the first few speakers, and I'm going to continue it because it's absolutely imperative that we understand our standing before this God to understand how great a salvation has been given to us. One sin in the Garden of Eden, one sin immediately separated us from God in a way that can only be put back together again through Jesus Christ. Bear with me for a moment while I explain where we are before the ransom was paid. We are in the palace of the strong man. We are in a dungeon. We are in darkness. There is no light of any kind. Our sins are around us daily. We are full of wrath. We're hateful and we're hating one another. We are dead in our trespasses and sins according to Ephesians 2.1. We have absolutely no hope. For how can you have hope if you are dead? That is the practical side of where we are. Think with me for a moment that we are under the wrath of the fierceness of Almighty God. He not only dislikes us, he hates us with a perfect hatred for what we did to him in the Garden of Eden, and truthfully, what each of us do each and every day. And then hell's next, the burning pit of destruction where all liars will be cast. So we know we're going to be there through that means. But every day we continue in the sin of the Garden of Eden through our pride, through our arrogancy, through our dislike of God's word and God's people. This is us by nature. We have all of Scripture to confirm this. And if the truth be told, each of our hearts condemn us. The worst part about this, we all wanted to be there. We chose this willingly. God didn't force our hand to do this. We ran with a gleeful attitude to see how much sin we could pile up for ourselves. As Lewis mentioned, we were depositing into our account of wickedness daily. We have to get out of that state. We have to be freed from the dungeon. We have to have a ransom paid. We have to be freed from that captivity 
of the strong man. A ransom is mentioned from Moses' law where you could redeem yourself through a ransom. If you had an ox that was wont to gore, you could pay a price, which was the ransom for your life. We see it mentioned in Job as a reoccurring theme. that There was need a ransom to be paid for people to be saved from the pit. We see it in Hosea that there was going to be one that could ransom us. Somebody has to pay for the justice of Almighty God. As we heard about sanctification, we are not allowed in His presence. Each and every one of us has fully convicted ourselves not to be allowed to be there. In the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. I hope I've established where we stand before this Almighty God and His justice that must be taken care of. There was no amount of money that could be paid. Many times we think of a ransom note as there's, a, there's an amount that we should be able to pay to redeem ourselves. If you're in captivity, usually you can take care of your captives if you can pay them something. There's no amount of fame that someone in a position of authority could talk on your behalf to take care of this problem of your captivity. There was absolutely no sacrifice that we and in ourselves could come up with. We needed the perfect sacrifice. But thanks be to God that there was a stronger man. Turn with me to Job chapter 33. And there's a, a hidden gem in Job 33 that helps explain the theme throughout Scripture. I found it in recent months frustrating that so many churches and so many that I've had an opportunity to speak to complicate God's Word. It's not complicated. We sinned. We live in our wickedness. We need a Savior. He came and died for us. What are we going to do about it? There's the Scripture. There's the Christian walk. Let's not complicate it more than it has to be. Now, there is much more to it than that, but there's no reason to complicate it with the extra news. Job 33 Let's start at verse 23. And this is talking about our wickedness and where we stand and how we need a Savior. And, of course, this is Old Testament, and it's with Job, very Old Testament. So we, we know that this is a theme that we're going to see in the New Testament, but see if it doesn't fit up perfectly with the New Testament. Starting at verse 23, If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, Then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. There's a stronger man. Who was this stronger man? It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. From the moment he was conceived, from that moment on, his entire life was geared towards his paying our ransom. He had to have a perfect life of 33 and a half years in order to store up enough righteousness that the Lord would allow to his blood to be sacrificed for that ransom. Matthew 20:18 says that he was always preparing to be our ransom. Turn with me to that passage, Matthew 20, verse 18. This is the fulfillment of Job 33. Matthew 20, verse 18. I think I've written down the wrong verse. Excuse me. 
In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is speaking about him coming to be our ransom, and he mentions that his entire life was a preparing for that statement. He was going to be our ransom, but he needed to live that perfect life in order to be the perfect sacrifice. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood before going to the cross. Why was he sweating those great drops of blood? Because he knew that ransom note had to be satisfied, and he was about to satisfy it. He desired another way. He asked the Lord, is there not another way that we can take care of this matter? But he said, not my will, but thine be done. And thank God for those words. For if he had not spoken those and fulfilled those words only hours later, we would still be under the curse of not having our ransom paid. How do we know our ransom was paid? By these words, it is finished. That right there is the sum of the gospel of our salvation. It is finished. Those words made sure that our ransom had been paid, that the note had been satisfied, and we were once again allowed into the presence of God. We can also take comfort when God looked down from heaven on the travail of his soul being Jesus on the cross and saw what sacrifice he was going through. He said... It is enough. I am satisfied now. The ransom note has been paid. These my people, these are elect. These that I sent you down on the earth to die for are now my sons and daughters. Do we believe that our ransom note has been paid? Do we take comfort in these words? Are we excited to know that no, nothing else can be laid to our charge? We are not allowed back into the captivity of the strong man. The Lord will not allow it. He will finish those things which he has started, and that thing he started is to bring us home to be with him. Let's turn this into a quick practical application. If we have been ransomed, if the note has been paid and we believe that, as I see on your faces we have, then we have become God's sons and daughters according to 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. One of my favorite verses over the last few months is 2 Corinthians 7.1. The chapter break from 6.18 to 7.1 is a chapter break for, for us to try to understand the thoughts, but they are not necessarily um, inspired. So let's think through. What does is, what is verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 7.1 say? This, this is our gospel. This is why we're here today. This is why we're talking about salvation again. 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 1. We love, we love 618. Our pastor loves 618. Each and every one of you loves 618. And if you don't, then you don't want to be God's sons and daughters. Because 618 says, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What great comfort that is. But if we've been ransomed, if we truly believe this, then 2 Corinthians 7.1 should be at the forefront of our minds each and every day. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Amen. What good's a ransom if we're not going to keep it in the forefront of our minds and therefore live according to having been ransomed? Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. A ransom, a price was paid. 
Find a Burgundy Hymn book and turn to number 282, if you will. 282, and let's turn our thoughts towards intercession now. Number 282. considerable amount of intrepidation that I attempt to present this joyous topic to you, so you're going to have to bear with me if I get a little excited. Um, Intercession. Intercession has so many points, and our pastor's exuberant study habits make it very difficult to pick just a few points to present, so let's go as quickly as we can and try not to get too bogged down. Intercession by definition, is the priestly and mediatorial work of pleading the case of a party by an advocate on behalf of a criminal to the judge responsible for the case. Basically, it's an individual who is acting on the behalf of a criminal toward a judge, pleading his case. Kind of a simple simple term. We don't use it that often, but it should be very simple to understand. A lot of examples in the Old Testament, too many to pick from, so I'll just pick one. Moses, how many times did the nation of Israel do something stupid and wicked and the Lord got fed up with it, as we read in Exodus 32, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. Now I don't know if you would or not, but I would probably say, okay, go for it. It's a good idea because it's a lot of work. But Moses didn't. Moses pleaded with the Lord, besought the Lord on behalf of the nation of Israel, and the nation was spared. That's what an intercessor is. Now, it's my intention to have a very simple, uh, short comparison of the intercessors of the Old Testament and our intercessor today. The priests in the Old Testament were the intercessors. That was their primary duty, was to go to the Lord on behalf of the nation of Israel, whether it was 
with sacrifices or prayer, whatever. That was, that was their purpose. However, they had some problems. And there's only a few that I can pick from, but the majority of the book of Hebrews is totally dedicated to the comparison of them and our Lord Jesus Christ. A few of the problems, they were imperfect men. They had sinned just like we did. They had to offer for themselves before they could offer for us. They had flaws. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. So they were, they were already flawed. They couldn't be righteous and perfect. And they were going to make mistakes. And it was, it was just not to the standards that, that the Lord wanted. So that's why they had to keep offering these sacrifices all the time. It was always imperfect. The sacrifices they did offer, the blood of bulls and of goats, was, it was insufficient. It wasn't good enough for the Lord. The Lord has a perfect holiness and the blood of bulls and of goats didn't do the job. doesn't matter if it was Solomon's dedication of the temple, of the thousands and thousands, didn't make a difference. wasn't good enough. That's why these, they continue to have to do it. Like Hebrews 10.11 tells us, And every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It never really did the job. So they had to keep doing it. Now, glorify the Lord Jesus Christ with me. Was he perfect? Was he a perfect representative, a perfect mediator, a perfect intercessor for us? He was. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he was a man just like those high priests were, but he didn't screw up like they did. He was perfect. How many times did he have to offer sacrifice for us? Hebrews 10:12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. One was good enough because it was perfect. It was completely sufficient and satisfactory for the Lord's standards. Likewise, Hebrews 10:14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So he was perfect. We have a perfect intercessor. We have a perfect intercession made for us now. Do you need proof? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 tells us, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Think about him as our intercessor. Amen. Who, who was he? He was the Son of God. God, the judge of all, the one that we're supposed to be resent, represented by. So that's a pretty intimate relationship. You don't get a whole lot closer than that. He knows the judge. How did he live? Was he a good man, an okay man? He was perfect. Perfectly fulfilled what he had to. Didn't sin. Did it exactly the way the Lord wanted it. What does the Lord say? Let's see. Matthew 3.17, I believe it is. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Not... This is my beloved son who did an okay job. He did a perfect job. He was perfect. Amen. And more than that, what sacrifice did he have to bring to the Lord? His own perfect life blood. I mean, can you, can you really wrap your minds around it that you don't, there's no way he wasn't perfect as an intercessor for us? The gift that he, the sacrifice that he gave was not imperfect in any way. The, the bulls and the goats... They were always imperfect. They were never good enough. doesn't matter how many you offered. He was perfect once, and he offered it for us. There's, there's too many to pick from. I should probably just stop there. But in every way, whether it was made with an oath, 
Those Old, Old Testament priests didn't have an oath. Again, imperfect. Um, they kept dying. I mean, even if you had one that you liked and that you could really relate to, he was going to be gone in a few years anyway. What about our Lord Jesus Christ? Death was no obstacle. Sure, he died, but it just made him more a better intercessor for us anyway. Nevertheless, I pray that you can rejoice with me in the intercessor that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. He was so much better than the Old Testament. We can't really relate to it. We weren't there. We don't know what it was like to try and offer the blood of bulls and of goats. I mean, imagine being a melancholy in that time. It was never good enough. You were always telling yourself, does the Lord really please? Is he really happy with what we've done? He wasn't really. But he is now. And we have an intercessor right now on his right hand who's saying, he's mine. This is my blood for him. And it's perfect. I got two full pages of notes here. <laughs> Amen. What glorious topics. Sanctification, imputation, forgiveness, propitiation, ransom, intercession. Thank each and every one of you, young men, for explaining that to us, for sharing scriptures with us, for helping us to get excited about that. This is a great topic, brethren, and this is the cure. I love your, your, your comment there, Brother Jonathan. Those of us that do have melancholy spirits, those of us who can get down at times, which is everybody, right? You don't just have to be melancholy to be able to get down. This is the great cure for the ills of your life. The great cure for whatever is wrong in your life is to look at Jesus Christ and to look at the great salvation that he's prepared for us. We've looked at six aspects, six glorious aspects this morning of that salvation. After our break, we'll come back and consider six more aspects of that glorious salvation. If you would, please join me in standing as we offer up a word of prayer for the food we're about to partake of. And then we'll be dismissed. We'll be coming back at... Let's come back at about uh, 25 after 11 for our second service. Our most gracious Father, we're so very thankful for these different aspects of salvation that we've seen this morning. Lord, you are so good to us. You're so kind to us. Not just in saving our souls, Lord, but explaining in these different areas the great salvation that Jesus Christ has, has given us. The fact that it's through Him, Lord, that we are made holy so that we can come before Thee. The fact that You did impute His righteousness to us as He took our sins, they were imputed to Him, and then He imputed His righteousness to us. The fact, Lord, that You, the offended God of heaven, have forgiven us through Jesus Christ. Lord, the fact that You, through Him, paid the price you made it so that we could be at peace with you in his propitiation. You paid that ransom, Lord, for our souls. And he even now sits in your presence to intercede on our behalf. The perfect high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us. Father, we are thankful for these things. Help them, Lord, to motivate our lives so that we should live holy and righteous before you, glorying in your great salvation. Father, we're thankful for the food that has been brought and ask, Lord, that you would sanctify the use of it 
at this time, Lord, to thy glory and honor. Bless our conversations, Lord. Help them to be those that would be reminding one another of these great things of our salvation. And then, Lord, help us that we might be prepared and ready in our second service for to hear more of this great salvation that you have for us. For it's in the blessed name of Jesus Christ we ask these things. Amen. Amen.